Shut up and sit down. everyone I had a nap and so now I'm like wide awake and it's ridiculous um so yeah that happened um thank you guys for joining us in the chat room with such short notice I'm looking forward to your questions this evening we're going to do a writer's table because while I'm super bored um and kind of hyper I had literally no idea what a topic might be so I'm hoping you guys can help me out. And if you hadn't realized that that's the whole point of these writers' tables, it's me wanting to have a podcast but not actually having a topic. Now you know. <laughs> I asked Julie to join me. She agreed. She didn't offer a topic either. Granted, I didn't ask her if she had a topic. I would have said no. <laughs> I'd have been like, what? You want me to think? <laughs> Because you know how when topic. somebody yawns, it's, you know how when somebody yawns, it's contagious. And yeah. You just kind of go. <gasps> well, apparently for me, when somebody says I need a nap, it's contagious. So, like, I don't know, five minutes after you said I need a nap, I went to bed. <laughs> when you when you said do you want to do podcast, and I texted you back, that was about two minutes after I got up. <laughs> so the brain is empty. You're welcome. Yeah. Um. I did. Um, I take, uh, I have a a typical reaction to vitamin D um, in that it makes me sleep like a baby. And the more I take, the more I sleep. So I have these 50,000 EIU tablets I take because my vitamin D is chronically low um, because I'm a night person and I avoid the sun (laughs) like a vampire. Anyways. Um, and when I'm out in the sun, I just sunburn. So, you know, the, there's no, the sun's not my friend. Uh, but uh, I took one 12 hours. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, that, 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 was, that wasn't bad. I'm, I'm good. I wasn't. <laughs> I got up, more. did my thing, wrote some, wrote some. And then I was just inexplicably exhausted. It was just, it just like it just rolled over me again and I'm like okay I'm gonna go back to bed and I slept like 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 little kids sleep when they're worn out you know the the sleep of the just <laughs> listening um oh no my new aunt Claire she moved to Florida <laughs> So that was unfortunate <laughs> for me, not for her, you know. <laughs> she does send me postcards, though. I love getting postcards in the mail from people and um, because, you know, people don't often send, you know, physical mail. But she keeps sending me postcards of hot men on, on the beach. <laughs> I don't know where she's finding them. She should be ashamed of herself, but clearly she's not. I've got four. 
first first time one came in, my husband's like, who the hell is sending you some naked guy from, and he flips it over, and he says, oh, Jesus, women, and handed it to me, and he wasn't naked, <laughs> but he was simply dressed. <laughs> anyway. He was close to naked. He was as close to naked as you can get, and still stick it in the mail without an envelope around it. <laughs> Speaking of naked, I did um, I did uh, have a release of a book yesterday, a, a short story yesterday. I shouldn't call it a book. It's an ebook. An ebook can be of any length. Um, short story uh, is ninety nine cents. It's available on Cobblestone Press. It's also on Nook and on Amazon. Coming soon to iTunes, Kobo, etc., etc., etc. There's a whole big list. Um, speaking of Kobo, though, did you guys know that Kobo, which is a, a which was I believe a Canadian company that got bought by a Japanese company. Anyways, Kobo is um, partnering partnering with Walmart. And they're going to put the Kobo device in Walmart. I am That's going to put some pressure on Amazon. Well, not only that, but I think it's going to actually really boost the market. How much of that 99 cents do I get? Um, that depends on where you buy it, <laughs> because obviously if you bought it from Amazon, I think that the publisher gets like 45 cents of the 99, something like that, 40 to 45 cents, depending on the, um, like if it's uh, a 70%, 70% market or there's a, there, it just depends on what version of Amazon you buy from, what the exchange rate is, 40, 45 cents. And as a as a as the writer, I get thirty five percent of that revenue from distribution. So wow, Amazon a really short takes story. a lot. Amazon does. Um, I think Nook is a little bit better. I like the publisher gets sixty percent or something like that. It's. it's um, I asked her once because I am close with the publisher at Cobblestone, and um, that's why I chose to publish there. I, I trust it. Um, <clears throat> there's like there, there's a variant at Cobblestone. I get thirty five percent off the top of the ninety nine cents, and the publisher absorbs any um, any fees associated with PayPal or whatever. So um, when you're buying Lady Holder's books or or my books, buying them from Cobblestone puts more money in our pockets. But that being said, please don't be afraid to buy on the platform that best serves you. If you're a Nook person and you have a Nook and it's easy for you to buy on Nook, you buy on Nook. You buy on Amazon because when you buy on Amazon, it helps my overall sales um, because it helps my sales rating. And if I'm really high in the list of purchase. Um, it's going to increase my profile on Amazon, and the more reviews I have on Amazon, the more the higher my profile will be on Amazon, and the more sales I'll generate. So if you buy on Amazon, you you do your thing because it um, it's helpful in other ways, not just money wise. Because being in the yeah, top bought- one hundred for Amazon, really awesome. Yeah, no kidding, that would be great. <laughs> I I bought I bought my own copy on Cobblestone. Um, and then I was like, I wonder if I can buy my mom a copy on Cobblestone. I said, oh, just, I'll just send it to mom. 
it's very strange. I sent my mom porn last night, but whatever. Um, so I sent my mom um, through Amazon, and then I sent five other people through Amazon, and I was like, well, you know, it all works. Um, it works out. <laughs> and thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so. My mom, you know, my mom was very excited, by the way. Serves you best. Oh, awesome. I hope she enjoys it. Well, I don't want to hear if she enjoyed it, but um, <laughs> she's like, I don't want to talk about right, it. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. But she usually Just reviews and she likes play. it. That's right. But um, yeah, she. I swear she's like your biggest fan. She's like, oh, I'm so excited. She wrote something new. I was like, okay. Don't don't tell me if you enjoyed it. <laughs> I want to hear. It's a little short story. Um, the publisher had an opening because of a. Uh, an editing snafu and, and that happens and she asked me to write and I was like sure and it, but don't expect anything long <laughs> so and she didn't and um and that's what it is yeah and so um but I really enjoy it it's a cute little thing I have been invited to participate in a um a series at Cobblestone um so I'm thinking about that it's um uh what's it called I told you Oh, um, Tales from Neverland. Um, it's a series um, that another author writes. It's a BDSM series, and I was invited to participate, and I am thinking about it. And um, But it'll be short stories as well. Jilly uh, gave me an idea for that. <laughs> and she has an idea of her own. Yeah, I know the author in question, um, and um, I haven't. I have not obviously we're submitted anything to Cobblestone, but I'm really excited that you guys are thinking about, um, you know, working sort of at least tangentially to each other. <clears throat> I like her work. Um, I especially like uh, the werewolf ones. The werewolf ones. Moonlight. Oh. I read I oh. them in um, MHQ. I want to say late last year, but I don't know. I don't know. We had a thread about what original, what what authors do you like in, you know, original publishing land in MHQ. And I wrecked her and several other people. So, but yes, um, she has three books in the Neverland series, which I need to read um, the bigger one. Um, But um, I'm thinking about it because I do like to write BDSM and um, I do like beautiful men. And apparently that's um, highly featured. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna try it out, um, but you know, the thing about um, I, I've talked about it in the past before that um, writing professionally um, kind of um, super stressed me out. But there's no stress writing as Kara because I don't have to meet anybody's patience um, but my own. And um, uh, I've already showed my ass multiple times on the internet as Kara, so there's no reputation to keep clean. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Like fuck it, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> Here has a short story. <laughs> but yeah, I need to refresh my chat. Give me a second. It probably helps that you're also not under contract to deliver anything on a certain time, and and also that this is true too. Know, that they're like, yeah, whatever you can give us, we don't care. <laughs> What's the minimum? <laughs> like three. The minimum's like three k, right, or something. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, just over, just over 3,000 words, we're good. But the blue line is just for in-house authors. That's something to keep in mind. Um, 
But you can get into cobblestones, author, um, uh, uh, stable, terrible term to use, um, by writing a tryst (laughs) or a wicked story. Um, that's 5k. So the minimum for new authors is 5k, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I I enjoy publishing there and I'm very, I'm very comfortable and, you know, fine. And I was like, because publishing this Kira comes with some, um, maneuvering because I don't want my, my, my name out there. And, um, but, um, so yeah, my real name. Yeah shenanigans there are shenanigans but um yeah there are shenanigans i know several people who published obviously i'm now saying you and lady holder and i know this other author and then a couple other people i know and one thing they've all had to say about cobblestone is cobblestone is really good about protecting them and i guess that's one advantage of being with a publishing house is you have that that layer being in a stable as awful a term as that is (laughs) Editing went smooth. There were no problems. Nobody tried to make me not use the word cunt, although I didn't actually use the word cunt in this book. But <laughs> if I had, I don't think my editor would have said anything. <laughs> no, I can't imagine that they would have. So, but yeah, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's fun. Um, but, um, if there are any topics you guys want to cover beyond um, my my tiny journey into um, publishing um, a small butt sex tour, that would be great. <laughs> was it was it magical or mystery? It, it was, was magical, magical, but I don't think it was. There mysterious. wasn't a lot of mystery yeah. though. <laughs> no, no. I really like um, my characters. Um, it was a very direct. You want to go fuck kind of thing and I really I just really enjoyed that I, I there was no um beating around the bush so to speak no pun intended because <laughs> there was no bush <laughs> I, need to, I need to stop because that was terrible I should be ashamed of myself but honestly oddly I'm not um it will go on it will go on all night it will it will it's, yeah it's a done the deal. double entendres and the pun will go on all night Give it a choice. Yes, yeah, so I really enjoyed it, and I probably will write a sequel, maybe a longer sequel, because um, I, I enjoyed the characters, and maybe do them a proper romance, and you know, very officer and a gentleman kind of thing. Because <laughs> I did have a navy hero, I um, uh, a, a navy seal. Um, and, um, because it's just, I don't know, that, that really appeals to me, you know, hard bodies and, and competence and well, it's just, it's just hot no matter what. Yeah. It's hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hot. It's just hot. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I have a lot to do, <laughs> but speaking of lots of things to do, I passed the 35 K on my, um, quantum bang. Wow. Today, and I'm on you- page five of my document. Let me go, let me open up my document and see how many plot points that is. And your estimate was that you would be about at 100K, so you, your guess is that you're at about 35%. So, 
Did you know that your new little short was the number one bestseller in gay erotica today? No. Yay. Yeah. Oh, my God, you guys. That's so exciting. Yay. Wow. Holy shit. Holy number shit. Four, number four in overall erotica. And like I said, buy on Amazon. I'm not mad. <laughs> and number five in a romantic erotica. Those sales ranks really affect how people buy. So awesome! Thank you guys so much. That's just that's just amazing. Wow, I really had not looked. Um, I try not to look at Amazon and the reviews and everything, but I am thirty six plot points in. So I'm averaging wow. roughly a thousand words per um, plot point, roughly, give or take. I think I had 126 plot points. <laughs> is, is that what we decided on? <laughs> Let me go back. Because I'm having a hard time counting my plot points because sometimes I'll do, I have an A and a, a 1 and an A-B structure, but the A and the B are also plot points. They're just sub-plot points. So I was like, how the hell am I going to count this? And then I realized it, um, that they all counted as individual paragraphs, so I counted the paragraphs. I have 136. I have 136 paragraphs, so I have 136 plot points. So, and I've um, I've got 100 to go, basically. <clears throat> but I'm super excited. Uh, I'm I'm exploring a character that I um, that I've that I'm just I'm super excited. But we can't talk about it because I'll reveal something I'm not supposed to reveal. <laughs> And it's, I'm trying to be secretive. <laughs> but it's real hard for me to keep a secret unless it's super important. You might have noticed. It'll, one it'll, day, I'm just going to bust out all my professional pen names. It's just going to come out of my mouth one day, and I'll, I'll be ruined. But that's okay, because it, keeping a secret for um, 10 years, <laughs> that's like a record for me. You'll do it. You'll do it. And you'll keep it. The thing is, you'll get distracted by, you'll get your rough draft done, and then you'll be distracted by November. And 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 then, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll, you'll manage. You'll keep it a secret. Based on my production, I should be finished um, mid-October. I think. Cool. I almost blurted out. Um, I, not blurted because I don't know how you can blurt something on Facebook. There's at least that moment of clicking post that is, you know, right. Filter, and that's what happened is I typed up something that would significantly reveal what I was working on um, for the quantum bang. And, and then I started going, wait a minute, that's my QB project. Back up, back up, back up, delete that. I'm not posting. I clearly can't be on the internet right now. <laughs> I need a nap. <laughs> Time for a nap. <laughs> There is nothing unhealthy about a love for fix-it, Hope. It is the most popular trope in fandom for a reason. (laughs) So I was telling my husband about the quantum bang, and I told him about how um, I kind of inadvertently picked the name quantum and about why he looked at me like, that's actually kind of brilliant. And I was like, 
why are you so surprised, motherfucker? He goes, I'm going to go downstairs now. (laughs) (sighs) Anyways. I'm smarter than the average bear. But, uh, yeah, so um, my plot document's actually a mess. So I printed it out, and I've been writing all over it and scribbling on it and um, adding plot points to it. So I've probably actually done more plot points than um, cause I've added some on the margins and stuff. But, you know, that's just nitpicking. But I do have a new character, and it's really interesting having a new character and, and working through the quirks. Uh, it's not an original character, but a new character to me. Um, and when you insert a new character uh, into your fandom, what you call it? Headscape. Um, mindscape, whatever. Mind palace. It can be, it can be daunting to have somebody new moving around in your fandom and you're like, hmm, I don't, you know. Um, so, yeah. But um, we need we need new topics, so you guys ask a question in the chat room. I kind of want to go over to Amazon and look at my book, but I don't want to see the reviews in, in, in case somebody gave me a bad one. <laughs> I just read all your reviews. There's, there's actually none bad, but one person was being a little bit weird. It wasn't bad. It was just <laughs> they docked two stars for length, <laughs> which is just what the what? fuck ever, dude. Yeah. Like, it was great, but it was short. Three stars. Oh, like, I'd be like, kiss my ass. <laughs> if it were that's me, I mean, I'm not telling you how to feel. Short. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's actually one of the most insulting things that I ever have happened to me as a writer, both an um, original and fan fiction is, um, it's not a compliment to tell somebody that their work is too short. Because it implies that I haven't told you a complete story. It says a lot about my craft if you think that my work is too short. Of course, most of the time, readers just saying I wanted more and I didn't get it. They're not saying your your, your craft sucks, but that's how I take it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the short thing is just. I know it. I know that there's. It's intended to be kind of like a backhanded compliment. Like, I love this so much. I wanted to, you know, keep reading, reading, reading. Um, But it can be really demotivating and frustrating when all people focus on. Somebody else asked a question about subplots. Did I? Yeah. Um, I thought that I saw. I thought somebody asked a question about how many subplots is too many did somebody ask that question was I imagining if you ask the question about um, how many subplots is too many okay okay yeah it's yeah ask it, again. So how, how many, lost it, it was way up there yeah I found it I I think I the chat room scrolling kind of um, got me okay so now I've got four questions all right, so I've got I've identified four questions, but one of them two well five questions, but two of them by the same author. Yeah, it was okay. Ellie. So go ahead. Okay, ask the question. Okay, ask so the first question—they're question, both about subplots. They're from Ellie. Um, how do you keep your subplots from sounding 
contrived or filler? And her her other her first question about subplots was about like how many subplots is too many? I think the number of subplots depends on the um, level the the length of your project. Um, if you're looking at um, 20k, like in July, um, I think even one subplot's too many. Uh, your uh, your focus in July should be word economics. So um, just your main plot and getting your hero or your heroine through that plot is about all you have room for in 20k. You don't have time for side quests. Leave that little cat in the corner with a light on it at home. <laughs> don't look for side quests. <laughs> don't 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 take the potion. Don't buy the bag. <laughs> Just leave it all to the side. Um, but uh, if you're looking at fifty to a hundred k, if you're looking at a novel, um, the bulk of your novel will be built um, on your main plot, and it will be filled out by your subplots. Um, and I try to. Base my subplots. This goes up into the whether something is being contrived or not um, on um, character motivations. If your subplot does not serve somebody's internal motivation, then you don't need it. I think one of the biggest things that we see in Harry Potter is that we see all these nonsense subplots coming up. And because intrinsically we want to assign it to somebody's motivations, we end up casting um, characters like Dumbledore in a very negative light because we are assuming that he has some internal motivation going on for the stupid shit that he did. Like, obviously he had to have some nefarious reason for the things that he did. So because it's so terrible what he did and he, their consequences are ridiculous. And so if your subplot don't have um, motivations attached to them, your reader is going to attach them for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does to me. So, like for instance, with Dumbledore, he couldn't knock on the door. Why didn't he knock on the door? It creates a whole level. It, it, it creates a whole subplot of its own. Why did he knock on the door? Your assumption is, is that Petunia would have said no. Your other mm-hmm. assumption could be that he'd already talked to Petunia and she knew that Harry was going to be there, <clears throat> and the whole thing was a setup. But he's done this thing. He's dropped this baby. This baby that's perfectly capable of walking on a doorstep in the middle in um in the first of November in a, on a rainy freezing cold night in November in Britain and walked away. So when your characters have actions that um aren't fully explained, you create your re your reader is going to create reasons for um for their actions and um this is the the same thing goes for subplots if if you've got a subplot running in your background that doesn't have um any kind of character attachment assigned to it um it's going to look contrived and weird like often in Harry Hermione fix I see um Ron's um Ron's actions uh to interfere in their relationship 
um, or whatever to be contrived because you don't get a reason. You don't get a reason for his behavior, which is why I often assign um, his behavior to his mother and that she's encouraging him to do this or he's been told to get in the way of this relationship or um, or sometimes he's just been trained to assume that a woman is going to do the work for him and, and he picked Hermione out. But I've I've assigned motivations to that to his actions in that subplot so that it doesn't like just float there in the background. Does that help? Yeah, I think give her your answer because it'll be different. <laughs> it'll be worded. Oh differently. well. Yeah, we do work a little bit different, but I mean, for me, subplots for the way I write, they have to be really strongly connected to my main characters. Um, which is what characters to talk about character motivation, but I mean, but it also has, it's also a matter of point of view. Um, if you're inserting a point of view to do a subplot, if that, you know, I, I actually was challenged that that point of view has a, that, that, that subplot has a purpose because if if you need a new point of view to manage a subplot, um, Man, that would have to be a really big novel for me to think that would, and, it, and a really big subplot for me to think that was a good idea. Um, Agreed. Because it becomes an issue of is it is it is it distracting? It's not so much contrived, but is it distracting from your? Um, okay, so it sometimes it's easier to give an example of something that I've written. Um, and it's easier to do this with my own work than to do it with somebody else's work because I know when I'm talking about my own work that I'm getting it right, and I can only guess that I'm getting it right about somebody else's work. Because um, somebody did ask me once why I use my own work as examples. Um, when I, you know, it's because of that reason. Um, if you get it wrong, like let's say I just picked some, you know, some. Uh, let's say I start talking about Lady Holder's story or something, right? And I get it wrong. Well, that could be really obnoxious, and I wouldn't want to be in that position. And I wouldn't want to put her in that position. So um, I would have to work that out ahead of time. So that's why I use my own work as an example when I'm dissecting something. Um, so in um, emergence is a little bit of a difficult difficult one to get subplots in because I've talked before about that I should have cut that off into like at least two but probably three novels um, but in in that story there's subplot of um, this dragon who's been held hostage and used to spy on other dragons to so the spirit plane for I think I want to say it was like a decade or something like that I don't remember 15 years and um there was part of that that was the, the main plot, but that dragon owns that dragon story, that that piece, um, and that resolution for them and finding them and getting them. There was a subplot thread that I was pulling along for about 75K or so. Um, but once everything was resolved with that subplot, it was done. I never went back into touching on that again. And it was always from Tony's point of view. Um, I, if I had given a new point of view to that other character in order to carry that subplot, um, I don't think it would have fit because it, that other point of view is not related to Tony's overall motivation because since it was primarily a story about Tony, 
when you add in this point of view that brings in somebody else's motivations, but the subplot ran underneath the main plot and it got resolved in some, in as much as it could, it could get resolved from Tony's point of view. So sometimes um, I think some subplots can feel a little bit like, well, what's going on there? And sometimes the more a reader is interested in a subplot, the more they can kind of, I don't know, kind of champing at the bit to get more of that subplot. But if it's not related to your main character's motivation and what, what's going on with them and what their goals are, then once you resolve that as it relates to your main storyline, going back into it is when it starts to feel contrived. Did that make sense? Yes. I snuck off while you were talking and got some tea, but I also got a cupcake. <laughs> it's sugar-free. It's sugar-free. I made some sugar-free devil food cupcakes. <clears throat> they're not awesome, like I was telling my mom, but they're chocolate, so they're not terrible either. <laughs> they they meet a need. True, yes. Ugh. Anyways. <clears throat> yeah, I, do, I think that, I just think that, Sometimes I see subplots, uh, and some fandoms actually. It's weird. Like there's some fandoms that are worse for subplots that really pull away from the main story, uh, and it's usually because they're trying to get everybody a POV. So you want to keep like some sort of thread about what every character is doing, and that thread. Um, it's actually, I will say it's better if there's actual plot applied to that thread as opposed to just regurgitating what is already in the story, but it's not good either way because it's, it ruins the pace and it distracts from what the main storyline is. Um, but sometimes you can tease at subplots and not actually like get into them. Like you kind of check in on them periodically, but you don't actually like get in and explore them. And that can work just as well as a fully developed um, you know, getting in and deal with this other issue thing. Am I still? Am I? Uh, okay. Are you still what? <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was muted or not. Um, what I was going to say is, is that I have a subplot that runs underneath Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond um, <clears throat> involving Cho Chang and um, her actions that took Luna, you know, kidnapping Luna for her father's ritual. Mm-hmm. And it kind of runs under the background in that um, after she's removed from Hogwarts, you never see her again. But you hear from other characters um, about, you know, what happened and the condition and, and how she eventually got away with it because um, she had been memory charmed and they couldn't retrieve the memories. And then the incident with the goblin horde happens and Hermione calls in her debt and uses her debt with the chieftain to basically put a hit out on um, Cho, her mother, and her her aunt. <laughs> Not Hermione's aunt, but Cho's aunt. Um, to uh, to kind of resolve that situation. And it just kind of hovers in the background. And it is a subplot, but it isn't sub- a subplot that ever had a POV outside of my main characters. And um, it'll be resolved pretty much the same way. Yeah, they'll hear about it, not suddenly jump into 
chose POV. I mean, there there are always exceptions to everything, right? There are times when um, a character's POV only exists to for, for the threat of a subplot. Um, if a subplot, if you've got a big novel and the subplot's really important, and your person who is driving the subplot is not where your main character is, it might be that that driven. But if it's dramatically affecting what's going on with the main character, it it's kind of could maybe work out. I mean, there's always ways that things that aren't generally a good idea can work. But I just wouldn't give somebody who is not a main – typically it would be a starting guideline for me – is giving somebody who's a main, not a main character a POV just to drive a subplot. Um it's something I generally wouldn't do, but I just, you know, I could probably come up with re- examples of where that was a good idea. But it needs to be said that um, every subplot you add to to the mix of your novel increases your um, your word count exponentially. Um, whereas I could say that um, my major plot and two subplots, I could probably do 40K. But if I added another subplot, I'm looking instead of 50k, 60k because you're going to need um, your subplots. Most often, should kind of intermix and weave together in the background of your story. Um, so you don't want uh, your subplots to be just shooting off in different directions. So um, instead of saying, you know, it. it it wouldn't be two plus two; it would be two times two, as an example. So, if I add three subplots to my main plot, sixty, seventy-five k, maybe even a hundred, depending on how complicated my subplots are. Does that make sense? Because the more the more you put into it, the bigger your yield. Yeah, the apple pie was not an appropriate dinner. I'm jealous. I would like some apple pie. <laughs> I would too. Um, also, I think one of the things that can make um, subplots feel contrived is something Kira kind of touched on there about them intermixing. Um, it can make them feel contrived when they're handled to um, one after the other. Like you start a subplot, you finish a subplot, you start a new one, you finish a new one. Life, it, it, that's not typically a very natural rhythm things don't typically come in a serial fashion like that. Um, so that can make a subplot or a series of subplots feel contrived if you have more than one, is if you're doing one, wrapping one up, doing another, wrapping it up, that doesn't – I mean, there might be cases where that might happen, but it, that would be unusual. So I would kind of kind of braid them together in the brat gown and just kind of move them um, – just behind your your main plot. Keep it because this is this comes down to word economics. The more characters you have, the more subplots you have, the bigger your project will be. Um, if you want to keep it under a hundred k, you need to you know monitor your POVs, monitor your subplots, um, and recognize that while fandom encourages really epic stories, fundamentally it's not good craft. Yeah. Now, in and one I love of the big one of, story, but you know. Oh, I do too. I mean, there's something when you get into a story that is really good, 
and you look at that word counter and you're like, you know, I don't know, two or three chapters in and you're just riveted and you've got 400K to go and you're just like, oh, yes, I'm going to be here all day. <laughs> and I'm so excited. Nobody bothered me. Yay for me. I'm in, I'm in the reader cave and I'm not coming out. Um, but, okay, so like in my um, in stick around in July, I – I teased its subplots, the sequel, but I didn't really kind of dip into them too much. It was more just conversations and kind of like subplot foreshadowing because the main plot is this, um, the romance that's building between these two. Um, and it's, that's going to continue to in the, in the sequel leading to, you know, where that, that's headed with Tony coming online and then bonding and stuff. So that's, you know, that's the main plot. And then there's the subplot, um, the main subplot, which like I said, I've, I've laid the groundwork for of Tony hijacking the Avengers initiative and moving it under the UN. Um, and so the groundwork was laid for that subplot. Um, in, in the first story, but it was, there was no resolution to it in any way. So it wasn't a real subplot because I didn't really like get in and, and deal with it, but it is like, I would call, I would call that like foreshadowing the subplot for the next story. Mhm. Because it will be it will be the big subplot in the sequel is that formation of the Avengers Initiative under the um the UN. So that's um and you can treat you don't have to de- treat a subplot like a whole separate entity. You can just kind of hint at it. And especially if you're trying to keep things tight and fast that might be a better option than really kind of digging in and dealing with all the nitty gritty details. Let me make sure we got all of her questions. I put them in a file somewhere. Um, <laughs> it probably lost the file. <laughs> uh, but I didn't put them on a tab. If I put them on a tab, we'd be screwed. Also, she, she, you did ask how many subplots it's too many. We kind of touched on that. But in terms of, like, the how, how many is too many, um, that depends upon also how you explore it. If you're, like, getting into a point of view to deal with a subplot and you're um, really dedicating separate scenes to it, um, you may only have room to do one in a novel, something that's 60K-ish. Um, but if you're just teasing at other things, you're kind of dipping into them, like um, – let's say you're writing um, something like a procedural, something from one of the procedural crime dramas, like NCIS or something. And um, they've got like a case going on that is going to be important at the end. It may not be obvious why it's important at the end. Um, but let's say that's going to be, in, there's this subplot of this case they're working on. And so that is something you're kind of teasing in and dipping into at the same time, you've got a subplot um, about a budding relationship, like maybe your friend is being a matchmaker and you've got this budding relationship and they're kind of teasing at that. And it's just kind of mentioned here and there from your main character's point of view. Um, you can actually, if they're woven together that way and it just feels like the natural rhythm of somebody's life, um, friends, family, work, and it's kind of all running underneath your main plot and you kind of weave them together and you do mentions of them here and there, you can weave quite a few subplots in that way. Um, and it wouldn't it significantly impact your word count. 
Right, because it's just it's somebody's you're dealing with somebody's life, right? Like you do a one paragraph here about, oh, you know, he talked to, you know, so and so. They'd gone on a first date, and then there's that mention there, and then, um, okay, the case was they hit another roadblock on the case, and there's like two paragraphs there, and then it's back to your main storyline, and you can actually probably carry four subplots that way. Um, that run maybe two thirds the length of your story, and, and they would wrap up at different times. But that kind of weaving together of these subplot lines um, can feel very natural and not bloat your word economic, bloat your word count, and not really ruin your pace. And so the reader would not even be aware that they've been pulled along, you know, on two, through, through most of your story on multiple subplots. It's different when you're kind of going in and dealing with a separate issue as a completely separate sub storyline and you have different scenes. And so it kind of all depends upon the kind of subplots you're trying to do and how you're approaching them. Um, But if you're trying to get, like if you're trying to get your word count up a little bit, but not bloat your word count, that could be the braiding multiple little sub things together could be a way to maybe increase your word count by 10% or something. And I don't think it would feel contrived, but you know, it all depends upon the setting and, and what kind of, what kind of fandom you're working in. And so. Agreed. Because a subplot in Harry Potter and a subplot in NCIS are entirely different animals. They're not yeah. even on the same continent. One's a dog in Afri- in uh in South Dakota and the other one's a lion <laughs> in Africa. <laughs> yeah, you just have to And I know this is the hard way. And... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's just it's just a different approach, you know. Um, there's more than one way to approach a subplot. So there are stories you might not think, like you may not recognize the traditional subplot structure in, but that there might have been multiple subplots just kind of threaded in. And also, if you're writing a short story, that's the easiest way to thread in a subplot, is one that is just running very tightly to the narrative, and it comes in in mentions or little incidents that happen with your main character. I mean, the further that, the further that, like, if if you imagined the main plot of a story is a straight line and a subplot is a line underneath it, the tighter that line is to the main storyline, the closer it is, the the less words you need because it's being it, it's happening along with the main action, right? The further down you drop it, the more you're pulling in separate scenes for it separate characters, separate locations. So all of those things factor into how many words and what it does to your pace. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> okay, so that's the subplot question. The next question was, mm-hmm. From Claire, uh, she's trying to work. I'm trying to work out which story to do a sequel for in April. Uh, you could talk about things to consider when choosing to do a sequel for a story that wasn't written with a sequel in mind. 
Okay, I actually have that on my agenda as well because I am considering um, writing two sequels currently, one for November. Um, although I do like my idea that I have now for November a lot more than I um, thought I would, and I've been plotting it. But I also have had in the back of my mind doing a um, sequel for The Air of the Angels Breathe, um, which I never intended on writing a sequel to. Um, in fact, I wrote it as um, kind of... Um, on Live Journal, Dances with Gary, who's awesome, epically awesome person, um, and writer and artist, um, she had done a, a picture of John Shepard with wings. And I thought it, it was a picture with him with white wings. And I made a comment on her uh, on her art telling her how much I loved it and how I would love to see him with black wings. Well, she made me one. <laughs> and I was like, well what am I going to do with this? And then I was like, she just really super inspired me. And I wrote um, the air, the angels breathe um, for that art. And then it was just, it was done. I, I, I never really expected to go back to it. And then when we did this not quite human thing, I was thinking about doing that mutant AU, but I'm really on board with my, when I've picked all that we did, it was podcast on. So I was thinking I might run that to April. The thing is that since I never had a sequel in mind, I, there are no plot threads for me to pick up. So it would be an entirely new plot. And the other part of it is is that John's an only child in that story. And it would be really weird to write John without Matt and um, David on Earth. So I'm not sure I could take him back to Earth. And it's just weird. So um, it's it's on my mind, too. So I, Go ahead, Julie. Answer this question for both of us. <laughs> Um, I'll be honest, sometimes um, when, you, when you ask about um, how, how it was phrased again, um, what are things to consider when choosing to do a sequel for a story that wasn't written with a sequel in mind? Well, first is could you tell more story with those characters? Um, do you like them enough? Do you like the universe enough to want to delve into it again? I mean, sometimes I finish a story and I go, I'm done with this. Not in a bad way, but just in a, I'm, I'm done. I know I'm done. But other stories you finish and you go, you know, you could feel that you could do more there. Not that the story necessarily needs more, but that you like it enough. You like the dynamic. You enjoyed writing it enough that it, it, it's alluring to you because it needs to be alluring to hold your attention and to get you to plot something new. Um, sometimes, um, this is one of those rare things I can think of where reader reaction um, can sometimes influence me. Um, not in a direct way, but sometimes I think a story is done and readers are just like, oh, my God, can you imagine what these two are going to be like in the future? And I, I hadn't really thought about it. And I'm like, well, I don't know. And so, like, I think sometimes like a, an intensity to see more in a universe. It doesn't like make me want to write necessarily, but it can be an influencing factor sometimes, like in the back of my brain, um, that people were really jazzed about this universe. Um, yeah, I, I think the most important thing to consider um, is if it's got enough allure for you 
to want to delve into and create a whole new story in that universe. Um, also, remember, sequel doesn't necessarily mean direct, directly connected story. It doesn't mean a continuation of what you've already written. You could write another pairing in that same universe. You know, it's just that they need to be... Um, so, like a sequel to, um, let's say, let's say a sequel to De Novo could actually be if I wrote a story where um, Penelope and Derek get together. That could be a sequel to. It could be it, that still a sequel. It's the same universe. It's things Tony said that influenced them and made them both look at each other differently. But it's their story instead. That could be a sequel. I mean, you aren't necessarily looking at a direct continuation. So. Um, if you if you're going look, there's no more story to tell here. But I really enjoyed this universe. Well, is there another angle in that universe? Is there another pairing? Um, if you wrote a um, story or something, and then you you were trying like, well, that you that that story's done, but I really like the universe. Well, you could write the sheriff getting together with somebody. You could write his story next. So the sequel doesn't necessarily have to be um, a direct continuation of what you've already written. It could be um, something connected to it in the same world, but not necessarily a direct continuation. Um, so I would think that just the story doesn't have to be crafted for a sequel. I think it just has to pull you in and make you want to write more. You have to enjoy that universe, that fandom, those characters, the way you wrote them to even sit down and try to consider what other stories there are to tell there. Uh, because if it, if it doesn't hold your attention from an interest level, it's not going to hold your attention through the writing. Um, uh, one of my, now see, one of my, uh, the two stories I'm most considering for sequels. One of them is in this in this camp, and one of the one of them is um, one of them is in the. I I wrote it, not so much planning to do a sequel. Um, but I definitely laid the groundwork that I could do a sequel. There were lots of threads I could pick up and pull for a sequel. Whereas the other um, is If Found. Um, I didn't finish If Found when I finished it. I did not finish it thinking I'm going to write a sequel. And there are threads I could pull to write a sequel if I wanted to. But I didn't write it with that intention of writing a sequel. But I love the universe so much that it is my lead contender for April is to write a sequel in that universe, but the sequel I would write is not connected. It would pull no threads. <laughs> There'd be no thread pulling. It, it's um, actually the story I plotted. I'm trying to think if there's any threads I'd be pulling. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But it was an easy universe for me to look at and go, I could put a sequel there because I like the universe so much and I like working with those characters and um, it just would be really um, an inspiring and motivating universe to work in. Um, that was my, my example of looking at it and deciding this is, this would be a good one for a sequel. Um, and the sequel I plotted for that one. Now I'm even more out. convinced that I don't have a sequel there. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> it's good to know, though. I don't I, I have a sequel there. I mean, when it comes to um, the 
I mean, I have lots of stories that need sequels, but most of them are already in process. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, like the se- Vicious, Vicious was written knowing there was going to be a sequel. Um, but I have it's our that sequel to Vicious Heathens already in process. Um, everybody knows sequels to Journey Home is um, in process because it's a fun evil author day. I mean, a lot of the things I know that need sequels are already in the works. So um, and actually, I had started a sequel to If Found, but um, the idea I got would be slotted in between what is there now and what I had started writing. So it would be the it it, it was a completely different idea. Um, and actually, it affects that other the sequel that I'd started, which fortunately I hadn't made very much progress on. So I'm not too sad that I would be um, ruining that. But the two stories I came up with that could use sequels that I hadn't started or could have a blank slate with, um, and that I had some reasonable interest was all your reasons. Um, love, love, and, so much love. Yeah, and um, and if found. So those are the two, and All Your Reasons definitely has lots of threads to pull to to build a sequel, um, and whereas If Found is was a little bit more of a blank slate. Um, and um, the, the 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 big detractor for me, the reason why the leading contender is If Found at this point, the sequel to If Found, is because. Um, I, I suspect I will be completely burned out on Sentinel Guide by April. <laughs> so right, um, and I might need a, I might need a break from it. So I don't know that I could pick up another. Um, but yeah, when you're looking, I mean, sometimes if you're trying to decide, could I write a sequel there? You need to reread the story. If it's something you haven't t- touched in a while, sit down and reread it, um, and see if. If it if anything comes to mind, and again, just remember, sequel doesn't necessarily mean direct continuation. It's a it's a it's the next work, or, or actually, a prequel is also a type of sequel. So that bear that in right. mind too. It get a different name because of its order in the chronology, but a, a prequel, anything written subsequent to the main work is considered a sequel. It doesn't matter where it occurs in the timeline. So if you have a story you love that you would love to write the backstory of how that all came to be, um, you could, and, and that is what draws your attention, you could go there. Like, let's say I really wanted to explore the Vicious Universe, which I, I don't because I'm more interested in the sequel, but let's say I really wanted to explore the Vicious Universe, I could maybe write Tony's backstory um, about how he became a forensic scientist. That's just a random thing I'm throwing out there. I, I'm not at all planning on doing that because I don't think I could pull. Um, what's our minimum? 40K in April or is it 30? I couldn't do either on that. That would be more like a 15, <laughs> 10, 15K. I have to go look because I think – I'm pretty sure it's 30, but um, I had actually considered – because this is our first year for Quantum Bang and um, – everything going on, I'd actually consider giving out two links for Nano. Um, now, the national novel minimum is 50K. Um, but I was considering offering um, two levels for uh, November this year, uh, 25 and 50, to give people a little bit more room to get used to um, having um, a bigger plate 
but I, I don't I don't know how people feel about that, you know, because um, November is such a traditional challenge for the whole world. You know, it's a um, it's it's International Novel Writing Month, <laughs> not novella. <laughs> so I don't know. Thoughts? Yeah, that's yeah. It's thirty k. Hmm. It's 30. 30 yeah, we've done some. We've done some Novembers that are forty, and I mean not Novembers, Aprils that are forty, and some that are thirty. So um, I have no usually have no problem hitting word counts, so I typically don't even memorize the minimums. Um, okay. Um, 25k thing is an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I would go for 50k because I've got a big story to tell. But we have other participants who are looking at Quantum Bang, who are looking at November. Um, and I was just thinking that, you know, offering um, a lower level might release some stress for people, but still allow them to participate in rough trade, which I think is, um, uh, it's good for morale to participate in challenges and not be overwhelmed by the environment. I also have to say that the Quantum Bang blogs that we're doing on the Quantum Bang site for just the writers is very beneficial. I'm really enjoying it. So. Yeah, I agree. It's, so if you're in Quantum Bang, if you're doing a Quantum Bang and you haven't actually joined the site yet, you haven't signed up, go ahead and sign up so you can come over and do some blogs with us. I, I think it's really helping us have a community feel like we have on Rough Trade. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I, I get ideas from other people. Um, Claire had mentioned that she is a like a night owl, but she writes um, early in the morning. And I was like, well, I I know that I'm I I'm usually that person who's like writing right before they go to bed, but I I don't usually roll out of bed and go write. That's not my usual. I don't. Maybe it's because I'm grumpy in the morning. I don't know. Um, so I decided to try it. Um, now I, I will say I, I tried it two mornings in a row, um, and one day I was going on like two hours of sleep <clears throat> and exhausted. I can't write; I'm completely exhausted. So that was a bust. But one day I just rolled out of bed and I, you know, I did a couple morning things and then I sat down. I didn't look at Facebook. I mean, nobody's used to seeing me on Facebook before noon anyway. So um, this was ass crack of dawn for me, which is like six thirty in the morning, and um, I sat down to write. And I immediately had some clarity about um, what was wrong with the story. Um, not wrong, but just that I had started it kind of in the wrong place. So I rolled back and sat down, banged out 3K, got up and had breakfast. And it was just like, huh, that was surprisingly productive. <laughs> I don't know that it's going to be work for me. <laughs> like, I would need to try it multiple times to know if it's something that is a good like, creative fit. But it was just interesting to read you know, and see how other people um, – do things and and um, what works for them and I don't know it was just it was, it was interesting so I decided to give that a try. Um, question I don't was have a normal sleeping schedule, but I do write when I first get up. 
I get up, I get some food, I sit down, I have my hour of writing time, then I do some work, um, then I usually get on my in my little bike. I have my little incumbent. It's a reclining bike, whatever what's that, whatever that's called. Um, recumbent. I sit recumbent. and usually recumbent. Okay. Um, I sit with my Kindle and I do some reading um, while I'm doing that. And then I come back up and I give myself another another hour of writing time and I answer some emails and do some work and you know so yeah I usually write first thing when I wake up it isn't in the the ass crack of dawn because at ass crack of dawn I'm asleep I'm usually going to sleep <laughs> yeah definitely a little but first well I I usually get up twice. Um, it's not uncommon for me to go back to bed for a little bit because I get up usually get up really, really early, like between 5 and 6. 6.30 actually is a little bit late for that wake up. Um, and then I go back to bed usually for a couple hours and then I get up again. Now, if I went to bed at 3, getting up at 5 and writing is, is going to be a nightmare. But if I went to bed at midnight, getting up at 5 or 6 and starting to write isn't an issue, so... But yeah, it was it was just it was interesting to try writing at a different time of day. Um, so, but I, I like that. I like seeing how other people's processes are different, and um, and it it helps when you're in a long haul challenge to have connection with other people. That's one of the things I know from doing <clears throat> other bangs that are long that. Um, connection, especially with connection with people you at least somewhat have a know helps. Um, I did a bang that was a, a year-long bang once, and I didn't know a single other person in it. So even though we were having check-ins and stuff, um, on a every I think every two weeks they did check-ins, um, I didn't feel like I knew anybody. I didn't feel like I understood their process. It was, and I'm not saying you have to know people to do the quantum bang. You don't. Uh, but you will get familiar with people. And so that's one of the reasons why we decided to also try to do the blogs is get people um, an opportunity to get more familiar with one another. Because it helps. It helps to be connected to people who are in that and race also with it, you. It really amused me to name my, my blog what I did because it's a sex joke. Yes. Yes. It, There's it, something it, really it, amusing about Kira's bang blog. I... <laughs> I don't share the details of my sex life, but I'm tempted every time I sit down. <laughs> yeah, and and when you some mornings, I you know I get up and there's like ten notifications about people's bang blogs, and I'm like perverts. I mean, but when you're working on a bang, the the sex jokes never end. Okay, you can't get away from it. There will be double entendres and and, and puns. It's just going to happen the whole challenge. It's just, you just got to accept it. <laughs> but they're, I think they're really helping us connect. And um, I, I think it's actually helping product, uh, productivity too, because there's a level of um, accountability in it. You know, yeah. I, feel, I feel like I can't edit my blog until I've written something. So I can <laughs> say that I've been productive for the day. <laughs> I did something. I mean, I, my my, if I I decide not to update my word count, counter because based I think I'll be almost back today. I'll, I should be back to where I where my counters are accurate. But I threw out like 
I want to say I was at like 212K on this story where I felt like I'd started it in the wrong place because I was I had too much exposition to cover past events. Um, and it wasn't like way in the past events. It was a month ago. So <laughs> I was like, if I have to keep referring back to shit that happened a month ago, I need to start this story a month ago. Um, so I took everything I wrote in a different file and then I started writing the shit that happened a month ago. Um, and, and I feel better about, I mean, I felt good about it anyway. And some of that stuff will come back in, you know, because I'll need those scenes later, but because I'm I'm a linear writer, um, until I get there and make sure that scene fits exactly the way it is in the current narrative, I don't keep it in the document. It would just throw me off. So, Um, I want to address something that happened in the chat room, and then um, we can um, do the next question. Um, Hope says, I've never tried to do a nano. It scares the heck out of me. Life's supposed to be scary, you know, especially taking th- take, taking risks, creative risks. It's supposed to be scary. So you look at it, and all that's just no. But then you do it. I saw something on Tumblr once, and it was awesome. It said, fear is temporary and useless. I don't know if I'd say it was useless because sometimes fear will save your life. <laughs> but in this yeah, particular well. instance, it is useless. Um, because what happens if you try and you don't make it? Nothing. What happens if you try and you almost make it? You have something that you didn't have before. What happens if you try and you make it? You have a fucking book you wrote. There is zero risk in trying to do nano. Zero. Because you learn. There is absolutely no no con to trying nano. You learn from your failure as much as you do your success. And if you write... 5,000 words or 50,000 words. Trying is the hard part. And once you do it, you'll be so satisfied. Just saying, um, yes, wanna, I'm going I, to try this and do it. Go ahead. And no matter how much you get done, you should be immensely proud of yourself. Um, you know, especially if I. Uh, if you get to like 45k and your story is done, which will segue to the next question, but if you get to 45k and your story is done, you should not be disappointed in yourself. You should be actually, I, I would be so immensely proud because you finished. Some people only cross crossing the 50k finish line is great, but the idea is to write a novel. And if your novel comes in at 45k and you're done, like you got to the end, that is momentous. Congratulations. Awesome. Congratulations. Because also, also, you did your first nano, and you spotted where the end of your story was. So, holy crap, good for you. Um, but there are a couple of, I think they're really inspiring, um, like um, like video blogs, like elapsed time, kind of, not elapsed time, but like, it's like check-ins periodically on YouTube. I think, I think the one I thought that was the most entertaining was, I think it was a BuzzFeed editor did nano one year. Um, and her check-ins as she was going through the cycle, it it was so true to, I think, most people's experience 
is in her case, she started off with a bang. She got a ton written up front. This is going to be so easy. And then it was just like some of her check-ins were like, oh, my God, I hate life. I can't figure out what to write. I haven't written in three days. I, I'm running so far behind. And then she would have a couple of good days. And then and then I think at the end, she, you know, like the last day, she's like, oh, my God, I, I have, you know, this many. And she had, a ridic- she had a fairly high word count she needed to hit on that last day. And she did several write-ins with other nano participants where she met them places and just sat, sat and did write-ins with them. Um, and so she, like, I think she was at a coffee shop on her last day, and she just banged it out and hit that 50,000. Um, I think she was a little over because she did find get to the end. Uh, but it was it, you try watching one of those. I found it really inspiring to see that other people's process or their experience is a lot like mine, even if their process actually is very different. I have to agree that the Order of the Phoenix broke my head too. So I just decided that it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the beauty of being a fan fiction writer. No, Joanne, that did not happen. <laughs> That's not what happened at all. What's wrong with you? But I will say that somebody could, the same person commented they haven't read anything with chapters since 2002. Um, there is a me- it's not the chapter method, method method that I personally use, and it's not so it's not one that I can even teach people. But um, there is a chaptering method where you chapter at the end. So uh, don't feel like you know that anything related to plot or style or structure should get in the way of trying to do a challenge like Nano. Um, there are actually quite a lot of people who are advocates of just write your story and then figure out where the breaks are later. It doesn't work for me personally, but you'll find that method of chaptering. There's a lot of resources about how to do it. So you could just think of it as 50,000 words of, of you'll figure it out later. (laughs) 50,000 words of you'll figure it out later. That should be the name of your nano video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be kind of fun to actually write with one of those screen um, uh, recorders on and just, like, <laughs> let it record you stopping and writing and researching and stopping and writing and watching a YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one every day. <laughs> people be like, how do you get anything done? Okay, our next question was about how do you find the end. Um, this is from Lady Holder. How do you know when you've written a complete story? The whole rising and falling of action. She knows the whole rising and falling of action part, but how can you tell when you are complete? Hmm. Well, for me, <laughs> I'm at the end of my plot document, <laughs> and I've met all my plot points, <laughs> And then I'm done because um, my ending's never a mystery. Even um, on the projects that I've pantsed the fuck out of, I have a plot running in, in my head, obviously. But I would say that I knew the ending before I sat down. 
to write. Ah, so she's asking, how do you know even when you're putting the she's asking even when you're putting the plot document together, how do you know that how do you know that you found the end of your story? Um, for me it's um I have a central theme running through um my story. Let's take Birth of the Serpent King, for example. Um my central theme in that story was Harry coming to terms and accepting his parcel magic and, and his and his um his his role as the, as the serpent king. Um, and I envision that scene when he's in the Slytherin dorm and he takes that metal snake off the door and speaks to it in public and doesn't even think it's doesn't even, it doesn't even occur to him that it's a problem that he's doing something that would upset people. Um, and I, I, I envision that scene first. And I thought, okay, that's basically that. That's my ending. Um, but then, um, when I when I wrote it, I uh, I added some sexy time at the end because <laughs> for I think I think it was age appropriate sexy time. But yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Age appropriate well, sometimes... sexy time because. <laughs> Well, I mean, sometimes you know your end, but sometimes your end may not be your actual end. It may be your climax, which is close to the end. Now, I've had stories where the climax for me was like at the three-quarter mark, and I then had like a one-quarter of the story was falling action. But more often than not, my climax is it's the falling action is steep. So the end and the climax are pretty close together. I'm just kind of basically giving you a few par- paragraphs. Um to kind of soften the blow of the story being over. Um, so, um, yeah, I will say I've had the situation where I, I have plotted one ending and then I'm writing and went, okay, wait a minute. Nope, 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 nope. I plotted two novels um, I don't do this so much anymore, but I, I've done it in the past. Um, and I blew, like, right by right by the natural end of the first novel. Um, and that was not so much that I didn't know where I was going as it was <laughs> that I had plotted two novels. And it was in the writing. That actually happened with The Journey Home. Um, I had a completely different ending in mind. I was just writing away towards that ending. And all of a sudden I noticed I had that moment where I noticed that I was in sharp rising action again, which didn't, which, and then I was like, okay, I had sharp, how can I have sharp rising action if I'm not at the end of the story? Uh, and I'm like, okay, well I had a climax. Okay. The story was over. <laughs> I was like, I blew right by the ending. Um, so I had to kind of backtrack and handle things a little bit differently, but yeah, and so I, I will say that I was, I want to say 20K into that second novel before I noticed. So I can, I, this, I was being pretty oblivious. Um, I feel like I missed part of the question. When it comes to like uh when I'm plotting, um I look 
uh, I focus on my ripples and my uh, my resolution for my main plot. And uh, once I've found, once I'm comfortable with my climax point, and I've um, built in as much falling action as I think I want, which you know is is subject to change in the writing process because no plot ever survives <laughs> the writing process right. with me because <laughs> there is a little leeway. Um, and I build in a little leeway for myself in my plot. Um, and I'm not afraid to take elements out of my plot or say no or add this or add that. I'm, I'm not one of those writers who it, who creates a concrete plot and doesn't deviate. Um, I, I, I think that actually t- takes away from your creative process. Um, but once I have my falling action defined, um, finding my end is is a matter of emotional satisfaction. There's the, the after the technical process is met, I like to be emotionally satisfied with my ending. And I think that's a personal choice. <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, yes, I that this, this is the ending that I want. It makes me happy. Um, yes, I'm done. And it, but it's a very emotional uh, process. It's 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 not technical for me. It's I'm I'm happy with this, so I'm done. Yeah, it's like there it is. <laughs> Boom. Um, um, also the end, I mean, sometimes when it comes to structure, uh, some, somebody else's perception of where your climax is may not be your perception of where it is because some people may, especially if you tend to write romance stories, people's perception is that, you know, the, the literal climax is the climax. Um, uh, and that's fine. How people, how people receive the story isn't up to you. Uh, but, Sometimes, um, as weird as this is, the sex is my falling action, especially if the sex is at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Because usually it's unusual for me, actually. It's like, so it's unusual for me to have the climax be um, actual sex. It's happened, especially in Sentinel Guide stories where there's a bonding involved. It, it, that is often sometimes that bonding is the climax of the story. But... Um, As many times as that happens, there are times when it's the um, the climax was right before the sex, and the sex is part of the following action sequence. Which I mean, that's just because that's my intent is that the high point of the story was whatever happened right before that, and that your sex is following action. But some people might receive it or experience it as the sex is the the climax of the story. Which is fine. Yes, Jeep, if I had gone all the way to the end, it probably would have been, well, I guess it would be up 350K. Wow. Wow. That, that's epic. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was about, because I was about, I think that story is 120 some odd K, and I was about a third of the way through in my mind. 
Yeah, sometimes the climax is the climax. But it, and especially in, in romance and relationships-based stories where they're not getting together until the end of the story, um, it, that sex scene, that, that final coming together is often – and that's modeled a lot in romance novels. Now, well, that's I, because um, there's actually a pretty much a, a box on, in, in certain um, romance lines that they expect you to sit in um, when you write, like in the distant past, like 80s, <laughs> the 80s and 90s. Harlequin actually had a had a had a structure for their romances in that you had to um, there could be there could be absolutely no sexual contact um, without I love you's exchanged. Um, the man always had to say I love you first, or sometimes it was a woman, depending on the line. Um, there was a list of terms you could and could not use, a, a list of terms they preferred you use, um, and sometimes you were only allowed one sex scene. Depending on the line, yeah, yeah, and so the whole that whole trope, that whole that's not tro- trope, it's a it's a structure of where your couple gets together after the I love yous are exchanged at the end of the story. But there's some conflict keeping them apart. They finally get together. They say I love you. They have sex. The sex becomes the climax. Boom, okay. Although, I, arguably, the I love you is the is the climax since that, but it depends on how you look at it. But yeah, that that and the structure. Sex is the yeah, that structure. Anybody who's read romance novels, when they, you know, that structure is. And then they started like people like I want the sex sooner, and so sex started coming into story sooner and sooner and sooner. And then they had to find a different, um, you know, structure to bring the climax in since people were fucking from the jump. So. But yeah, that, then they had different lines. But, you know, Harlequin Blaze is a whole different um, ball game compared to Harlequin Desire. And Harlequin intimate moments is is night and day for for Harlequin desire, you know. So they're, you know, as they opened up the lines and and women's preferences for their romance changed, the industry had to change with it. So. Um... How do you know when you've gotten to the end? Um, this is one of those things that's really hard to speak for anybody but myself. Um, because writers really do very different things in their falling action, you know? Um, But usually in my falling action, either if it's deep falling action, it's usually just like cuddling and a few words that tie up the general narrative. And then um, and then and then the story's over. That's the falling action. So it's like there's some thread. Um, so like in all your reasons, um, the cli- that's the one where the climax was the bonding. I mean. Uh, but it was sort of it was sort of like it was a lot it wasn't just a single moment that was the climax it was that whole scene of Bruce letting go of his reasons for not being in a relationship um, so that was that kind of little arc there where he kind of lets go and starts accepts and accepts being a sentinel um, 
But then in the falling action, I needed to kind of, you know, tie up. So the falling action in that story is very, like, it, it's like getting pushed off a cliff. And, but there was this, just this acknowledgement um, of that sort of, like, now Tony's life has been kind of hijacked as much as Bruce's had been, and, and that they had this new shared understanding and shared experience, and that they were traveling this journey together now. They neither one of them were alone in this. They had each other. Um, so And, and, and also there's key, that whole so point like, where Bruce realized that Tony actually needed him more than he needed Tony. <laughs> I would say that if, if I were to call the arc the climax and arc as opposed to like a single moment, it started with that moment that Bruce found out that it, it wasn't him pulling Tony in. It was Tony pulling him in. Um, and, and then that whole him letting go of all of his, you know, all of his reasons, which is where that title came from. And then, you know, then the bonding which is probably the high point would be them bonding. And then the following action. So I knew I'd found the end when I felt like, I mean, there were things, there were things that had been thrown out that hadn't been addressed, like what Tony's purpose was. Um, but the, that, that story was about Bruce letting go of what was keeping him from being a sentinel, what was keeping him from relationships. It, that, that, that was what it was about. So, that was what needed to be tied up because it's important there to know what the point of the story was versus tying up loose ends. And people can get so wrapped up in tying up loose ends that they start another story. And not every loose end is actually a loose end because sometimes you do throw things out there because it don't get resolved. I mean, that's life. That's realistic. So, Tony's got these abilities. He doesn't really know what he's going to be doing with them. Why Hugin and Munin are there, um, that doesn't really get resolved, but it kind of it kind of gets wrapped up a little bit more because they're identified as who they are. Um, but what Tony's function is and the whole why of all of that, those are all threads that I could pull for the sequel. But they don't need to be wrapped up because, and the reason why they don't need to be wrapped up is because they weren't um, central to what the story was about. They weren't the point. So um, that's part of how I know what, where my end is, is have I satisfied the point of the story? Have I fulfilled that purpose? And anything that was kind of thrown out, kind of teasers I've put out there or foreshadowing, um, if they aren't serving making that point, then I typically don't, don't think that I need to wrap them up. But I do see people getting into a cycle of and thening themselves because they are tying up loose ends or what they perceive to be loose ends. Um, like, you know, you could have this minor, like a tease of a subplot or something. It's not maybe not a full subplot, but like you've got a character who's, whose brother is coming out or something. And there's little mentions of it here or there about, you know, he's talking to his brother who's having problems with his parents or whatever. Um, but that's just a, a thing that's going on that maybe in your, for the arc of your story, you are using that to create tension for your character. It's just one more stressor for them, something else they're dealing with. Um, it's kind of the rhythm and flow of their life, but it's not a big thing. Okay. And then 
that's since that's not part of the point of your story, you know, the brother's in a good place, but you don't really resolve anything about the brother's love life because the brother's love life was never the point of the story. His relationship with his brother fed into your main character's internal motivators, but the brother's actual life isn't the point of the story. So what's going on with his love life is irrelevant. And then um, you get 15 comments because let's say you're a whip writer, you get 15 comments about, I wonder what's going on with the brother's love life. And you immediately think, oh, I better wrap up that thread with the brother's love life. Well, there is no real thread, plot thread with the brother's love life, because it was never about the brother's love life. It was about your main character's relationship with his brother. That makes sense. So anyway, the point of that is that you, you can get into thinking you have more to wrap up than you actually do. Um, And it's really important in terms of finding the end and knowing where your end is, is that you understand what you're trying to accomplish so that all of the things that you're building in to your character profile don't become plot points when they aren't necessarily plot points. Because what character building and world building and stuff don't necessarily have to have anything to do with points that need to be wrapped up if they aren't serving your plot. So ask yourself, we talked, we had a, we had an episode where we talked about that, I think, at least in part about finding the point of your story or its purpose. And if you don't know that, that's a really, and you don't have to be a plotter to know that. You could be panting the fuck out of it, but at some point you've got to identify what the point of the story is. What your central theme is. Whether it's mm-hmm. acceptance, finding love, having a soul bond, bonding with your sentinel, there there has to be a central theme. And once your central theme is met, your story is over. Has your story served its purpose? Have you have you gotten there? If you have, um there might be stuff you find in editing that you do need to wrap up, but for the most tar- part, have some falling action and type the words at the end. And there is actually nothing more satisfying than typing the words at the end. Yeah. You know that scene in Romancing the Stone when Joni is at the beginning of the story and she's finishing her book and she's crying? Mm-hmm. She yeah. writes the end and it's. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually sob anymore, but I used to. <laughs> <laughs> and I also used to drink. Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, I, the first time I saw that, I was like thinking that you know she was crying because she was like having to use a typewriter. <laughs> like I wouldn't want to write a book on a typewriter. Oh my god! I mean, I am such a. I would have a really hard time with writing in in a way that. Oh man, because I micro edit myself not not all the time, but depending upon the kind of scene it is, there are some scenes where I micro edit the whole scene through. I couldn't do that on a typewriter. No, you can't. And I'll tell you, it's straight up there's an action on a typewriter. Yeah, that's an action scene. When I write action scenes, I'm micro editing them the whole way. I they're a very slow process. I can write. I could write. 15K in dialogue in the time it takes me to write 2K of an action scene. It's just laborious. Because I don't write actions in a way that I, I mean, 
action, I've read scenes, stories where action is the pace killer. It's like there's so much detail that you just, you actually lose the action and you have no idea what's going on or it's boring and, or the reverse, it's, it's, you can't, it's going by so fast, you can't comprehend what's happening. Um, so when I have to write an action scene, there's, like I said, it's what I call it micro-editing. It's, it, it's like, okay, I didn't quite get this detail quite right. I need to go back and kind of adjust for it. Or really, this detail fits better here. I need to go take it out of up there. And that makes it a very slow writing process for me. And I've tried just writing it badly and then editing it, but it just never hasn't quite gelled. So it's really frustrating. There are days I can spend four hours writing and have five, six, seven K to show for it if it's dialogue or dialogue heavy relationship focused character interaction. And I could spend eight hours and have 2000 words to show for it because I'm just poking at this action sequence. Yeah. There's just something so much about trying to get details, right? Because little details lend credibility to what you're writing. It's just that suspension of disbelief thing. Um, the opening sequence to stick around where I was writing that um, the Battle of New York from Tony's point of view or from Dom's point of view, it took me forever to write that scene because I needed to decide what was important that was of what was actually going on to feed in, but it needed to be a very tight focus on what his experience was of that of the battle, but I wanted people to also be able to follow the thread of the overall battle to some degree in his point of view, even mm-hmm. though he couldn't see everything. Yeah. Man, that was, that was tough writing for me because it's not my, it's not my strength. And um, I also don't know anything about being a sniper. Um, I may read about sniper rifles, but I don't know anything about it. I don't know what that experience is like. I don't know what it's like to be in a battle. So it's just, well, It's slow. And we have one more question, and I think we can get to it in 20 minutes. Although it's a difficult question. Hmm, I should have spoke too soon. I'm trying to figure out how to judge word count for story accurately. How do you know how long each scene is going to be? Hmm. We have a whole podcast on this, actually. We have done some on word word estimation but I'm terrible at it um except I am learning if it's dialogue heavy if it's people interacting it's going to be long um if it's a court scene it's going to be long if it's you know a bomb blew up and shit happened it 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 could be you know 500 words (laughs) so it depends on what's happening We did a we did a uh, podcast in 2016 called Word Economics and Storycraft. I'm not sure that's it. Um, but I know we discussed it at length in um in a podcast and uh basically it boils down to experience. And um, I can look at my 
thought document and say, okay, I can, I'll need 2,000 words for this. I'll need, that's going to be a big conversation. Oh, it's a court scene. Okay, 20,000 words later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, um, it's difficult to, if you don't know, basically you have to have written a lot of different kinds of scenes to know how long that scene is going to take you. Um, like if you're writing a full trial on a complicated issue, you might need to budget at least 10, 15 K for that trial. And that might sound like a lot, but it probably isn't. Um, Not in my case. I think I think I thought that I could tell the the court scene, the hearing, and Slytherin Black in four or five k. I think is what I estimated. I think it was double my estimate, uh, maybe longer than double. <laughs> um, and then, um, although you can't estimate word count really if you don't, I don't know how you could do it if you, uh, well, I, I not with any kind of accuracy if you don't have some kind of plot. Because to do a really good word count estimate, you have to understand what kind of scene it's going to be. And um, if you don't know that a scene is going to be all conversation, I I wouldn't be able to estimate that accurately. Now, sometimes I can hear just based upon when somebody says, oh, here's my idea, and I might go, oh, wow, that's at least 80K, just about an idea. That's based upon my experience as a reader and a writer together. It's like, wow, to tell a story with that level of complexity um, usually my experience says it's going to be around 80,000 words. I mean, that's just kind of a, it's, that's kind of a gut reaction. Um, that's just based upon um, a lot of past experience combined with reading and writing. It's like, okay, that's how much it's going to take. But in order to know for sure, to get a real estimate, I would have to break that down to scenes or at least plot points. Actually, more plot points. If you have a if you have a bulk of work that you can look at that you wrote, um, and you can break it down into uh, plot points after the fact. If if you're a pantser, you can learn to estimate how long it takes you to do something in your narrative. And if you're a plotter, you can just go through your work, pick up your plot, and then assign your word counts to your uh, your plot points, and you can look and see what takes the longest. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now Kira's got a um, – she's averaging 1,000 words per plot point. So she can kind of guess Give based on the number of plot points she has that, you know, it's going to be blah. But if she were to try to get a more accurate estimate, she would have to look at each plot point and go, is this plot point going to be addressed in mentions here and there? Is this plot point going to be a conversation they have to have? Is this a full scene? Is this a scene with something else? And that is a little bit more like scene that's like scene mapping
I would say my average scene with a conversation in it where, where, where information is not just somebody's talking, but where information is exchanged in a conversation that is significant to moving the plot forward runs about 2,500 words. That's an average. Um, I wrote one yesterday um, that was about 1,500. And I think the one, one, of the one, one of the ones in my July story was about 4,000. So, but on average, about 2,500 words. So if I'm using like um, a conversation to to make that plot point happen, convey information, talk about the state of the relationship, I should probably estimate between 2,000 and 2,500 words every time I need to have one. And that might come out ahead or behind because it all depends upon how much information. Some conversations are complicated and some conversations are just do this, go there, shoot that person. I guess I'm feeling bloodthirsty. I Googled like word count estimating. It's terrible because all the advice about word count estimating relies on having basically a scene map. Um, and, and I am, uh, I don't, I don't plot that I way. need to insert, I need to insert something. If you don't scene map and you ever have somebody tell you that you're not really a plotter, if you don't scene map, tell them to kiss my ass. Use my name. Kara Marcos would like you to know you can kiss her ass. Because that's ridiculous. I've had somebody say it to me. I think somebody said it to Julie once. Um, Mm -hmm. Scene mapping is uh, is a skill I have. It's not a skill I employ. Because I think that employ... Is that right? I I, 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 I messed it up. Employ. Um, Because it... Yes, you can make bumper stickers. Um, make sure to put best-selling Amazon writer on it. <laughs> <laughs> that really tickled me, I have to say. Um, uh, but uh, I think people who plot themselves out of a story, who plot their way out of inspiration, it's because they've gone scene map deep. And they, they they think a scene map is required. When a plot can be as simple as five bullet points on a piece of paper, or in my case, 136 bullet points. So that's beside the point. <laughs> it's a big story. <laughs> but my little story yeah. I, I did for Cobblestone on top only had four pl- um, little uh, bullet points. <laughs> Meet, dance, fuck, and invite to dinner or breakfast. <laughs> Done. And she was not quite 4K per plot point, but close. That seems to be her average. <laughs> <laughs> here's things in 1,000 word chunks. Uh, but, you know, I here's the thing. It's 
to me, for me, and we've talked about telling yourself, writing, you know, plotting yourself out of a story. To me, that's where scene mapping does that, just like for Kira. Um, because when I get into scene map, when I, when I get into structuring each scene, I'm having to work through that scene in my head to understand how it's going to come together. And that story, I'm done. It's so much work that I'm done. Um, also, I know somebody, I follow somebody that can scene map very well. And I would say I they've posted about you know stories they're doing and they'll do screenshots from Scrivener um, on their blog and about their and and they're doing full scene maps storyboards the whole deal. They've plotted at least four novels in the last couple of years and not written any of them. So I and I don't I don't and maybe you know I I think she's done finished one novel completely 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 and gotten it published. And but a lot of it is just she, you know, she writes because she goes, well, this I've kind of lost interest in this project, and I don't say anything because it's not my place. But I'm thinking, well, you might be scene mapping yourself right out of your interest. And if you do scene map and you do find that you lose interest in your project, I would suggest that you go up a level and stop scene mapping, and see if that helps. And if it doesn't, maybe go up another level on your plotting and see if that helps. Um, because there are levels of plotting and scene mapping is, is too deep. <laughs> yeah. Scene mapping is too deep. I, I, for some people, some people thrive on a scene map. They're most often in my experience, screenwriters. Yeah. I would agree. They're very good script writers and playwrights thrive on scene mapping. But I think a large majority of novel writers don't have any business getting into the scene map. I because I think it destroys. Um, it goes too far. But that's just me. I mean, you know, um, some people really do that well. But I mean, I don't. I also know this is you know a lot of the writers I know who who seem to thrive in the scene map, scene map they're writing one novel a year, you know, and um, the writing is very difficult. It's really work. So um, I like my writing to be more inspired and organic. So scene mapping doesn't work for me. If it works for you, great. If all you're doing is scene mapping, just move on. Try try not scene mapping. Try just giving yourself a set of bullet points and map the scene as you're writing it. Um, so you got one more little question that's, I think, easy to ask. The timeline versus the scene map. Um, well, for a linear writer, the scene map is going to slot nicely into the timeline. Uh, for a nonlinear writer, that's not the case. The timeline is the linear series of events in the story and it's things on screen, off screen, um, things in the backstory and the world building, whatever affects your world. So for instance, if you were writing in the MCU, um, even if your events um, take place during the movie of the Avengers, um, you, your, your timeline implicitly includes everything that's happened in the MCU up to that point. Um, Including the birth of Captain America or the yeah, right, including birth dates, 
yeah, so there's all of these, and, and there are things, also things that happen in the future that might implicitly be in your timeline as well. Like there are things that would have had to have been underway um, at the event, during the events of the Avengers for them to, like all those helicarriers would have had to have already been under construction. So unless you're saying the events of the Winter Soldier don't happen at all in your universe, those helicarriers are under construction somewhere um, during the events of the Avengers. So, um you, it, it, so the timeline is everything. It's people's birth dates. It's the moon phase. And you may not have all of this. You may not need all this in your story. But your, your story's timeline technically includes that. Now, your scenes will fall on the timeline. Um, this event occurred on this day. Um, my timeline, I, I add to my timeline as I go. My actual story timeline, there's a higher level timeline. And then my actual story event timeline. And then I will make notes about off screen events that are referenced. Like, you know, if I have a scene happening on a, a Wednesday and I make a mention of something having happened on a, on a Monday, it goes in my timeline that that Monday event occurred off screen. It's referenced in the story. Um, so. I don't often do a timeline like that. I will have a if I'm do if I'm in fandom and I most often am these days. I'll have a canon timeline that I re, that I can reference, but I don't often do a timeline of my own project. Yeah, I almost always have. But one. sometimes I have or a list I of have... people who died. <laughs> yeah, sometimes she has a whole database of people who died. Um, yeah, I usually somewhere whether it's on paper or not, have um, it written down where the date that every event in my story took place. So your timeline is crazy. a lot. Of, <laughs> well, I don't know what to say. It took, it took place on a Wednesday and it was a new moon. What can I, you know, but the timeline can be as much detail or as little detail as you need to write your story. Um, I write more in, in crime dramas and um, I'm usually syncing up and slotting in between canon events. So it's important for me to know, you know, at least where I am in the month. Right. So if I'm between episodes, then even if I don't relay it to the audience, I, it helps me to know that I'm between September 22nd and 26th on these events. But it, it's a matter of what you need to get your story written. And if you're constantly having to go and check dates and stuff, you need to have more information in your timeline. Agreed. Agreed. Now, in my um, For You-verse, um, I have a lot of stuff going on in the timeline. That is actually a very complicated timeline because I'm syncing everything up around the Senate's legislative calendar which is a giant pain in the ass, I just want to say. (laughs) I could have chosen to write it without considering the Senate's legislative calendar, but I chose to consider what their working days were when I wrote the story, so I am double-checking to make sure the Senate, where whether the Senate was in session at any given point in the story. In other stories, that stuff doesn't matter. So it just depends on what you need. We have two minutes left, and I want to um, address what Hope just said. She said, I've been writing fanfic since 96. I think if I was going to get better, it would have happened by now. That's bullshit, girl. I have been writing for 30 years, and I am better today than I was yesterday. I am better 
today than I was 10 years ago. You get better by doing, by reading, by writing, by interacting with other writers, by exploring your craft, and it's a process that never ends. And you're a better writer today than you were in 96, even if you don't see it for yourself. Others would. We all grow and we change, and that's just part of our cycle. But trust me when I say that you are better today than you were in 96. And I can say that ever not even read your work because that's the, that's the nature of a writer. Julie, if you write, you will seconds. improve. You have what? 47 seconds. <laughs> Say goodnight. You are, you are better. And work on the not liking to read your own work. Reading your own work is important. Absolutely. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone.